From Church on Morgan, a United Methodist congregation whose desire is to be a reminder of the beauty of God and each other. This podcast is a collection of Sunday teachings inspired by the Revised Common Lectionary and recorded weekly in Raleigh, North Carolina. And now a moment of silence before this episode begins. hear the word of the Lord. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. He reached a certain place and spent the night there. When the sun had set, he took one of the stones at that place and put it near his head. He lay down there. He dreamed and saw a raised staircase, its foundation on earth and its top touching the sky. And God's messengers were ascending and descending on it. Suddenly the Lord was standing on it and saying, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will become like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west, east, north, and south. Every family of earth will be blessed because of you and your descendants. I am with you now. I will protect you, and everywhere you go, I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done everything that I have promised you. When Jacob woke from his sleep, he thought to himself, The Lord is definitely in this place, but I didn't know it. He was terrified and thought, This sacred place is awesome. It's none other than God's house and the entrance to heaven. After Jacob got up early in the morning, he took the stone that he had put near his head, set it up as a sacred pillar, and poured oil on the top of it. He named this sacred place Bethel, though Luce was the city's original name. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. My parents are in the process of selling the house that I grew up in. They're moving to Raleigh, which I'm thrilled about but they are digging through 32 years of stuff and it is quite a process. They still have my old spelling books and art projects and Beanie Babies and report cards and we could be on an episode of Hoarders for sure. And there's lots that can be thrown away, but there is one thing that I'm hoping they hold on to because someday I would like to inherit it. My mom has this piece of art that's an image of a child dancing inside of a big hand. And it's special to her, not just because of, I think, what the image represents to her about God, but also because of the season of her life in which she received this piece of art. She was kind of at the height of her ministry career, uh, working alongside a community of artists that she loved and experiencing God's presence in a deep and profound way. And so the artist who made this image came to a conference that my mom produced and created these beautiful works of art. There's a whole series of tiny children dancing and sleeping and playing inside of a God-sized hand. And my mom got to keep this one. And it's a reminder to her. It's hung in her office my whole life. It's a reminder to her of how she's experienced God's goodness in her life. And I've always looked at it and longed to experience that, to feel the way she felt when she got it. 
I always imagined that my mom feels like she's inside of God's hand and growing up I wanted to feel that way too. Sometimes the God of our parents and of our grandparents or the God you've heard about if you didn't grow up in a Christian home, this God can feel like an heirloom, something passed on to us that we wish we could get inside of. Like it clearly has meaning for someone else, but it doesn't quite feel like ours. We know we're holding on to someone else's memory. I don't know if you're a Harry Potter fan, but one of my favorite creations from that magical world is called the Pensieve. And it's a way that through taking a tear when you cry and putting it in this bowl, someone else can actually enter into a memory that doesn't belong to them. So through the Pensieve, you could actually attend the basketball game that your dad says was his greatest and you could cheer for his award-winning shot. You could taste your great-grandmother's famous meatballs or get drenched from the downpour, the downpour that interrupted your parents' backyard wedding. I wonder if you've ever felt this way about the God of your parents or grandparents or the God of your friends. Like if I could only experience the thing you're describing, if I could only meet your God, perhaps you've decided it's your behavior that keeps you at arm's length. Well, this must be the God of the well-behaved the God of grandparents who went to church, the God of parents who give to the poor, the God of big sisters who get straight A's. If I get lucky, if I experience some moment of grace, it's, it's some kind of side effect. It's because I'm catching the wind right, riding the coattails of a promise that went over my head. I'm near enough to the one in God's hand to catch a bit of the blessing sideways, but it doesn't feel like it was intended for me. Or maybe you're new to this whole Christian story, wondering how it works. Like, is this just a game of telephone? Do we just try to get close enough through these stories and worship experiences? Do you ever get to hear from the source? Or maybe you've been in church your whole life and you love reading about God and hearing these stories and listening to podcasts or books about spiritual matters and volunteering and doing all the right things and you'd never admit this to anyone. But if you're honest, you're still kind of waiting to meet the God you've heard so much about. You, want, you might wonder if God will always fit you secondhand, slightly loose, smelling like someone else, a bit worn with a few holes acquired through stories that don't belong to you. What do you do when God feels like an heirloom? Up until this moment in the book of Genesis, that's how Jacob refers to God. In the story that precedes the one we just read, he's talking to his dad, Isaac, and he says, well, your God blessed me with a good hunt. Your God, the God of his dad, Isaac, and his granddad, Abraham. Quick ancestry.com of this family to refresh your memory. First, there's Abraham. He thinks he's too old to have kids, but then he gives birth to a son, Isaac. And Isaac becomes the father of Jacob, who our story is about today, and Esau. Isaac grows blind in his old age, so he can't tell the difference between his sons, and Jacob tricks Isaac into giving him the birthright that belonged to Esau. We might say, Jacob is a rascal, which is a word I think we need to bring back. God gave Abraham, the grandfather, a blessing, and he said that his family would come to be a blessing. These two usually go together in God's economy. God reveals God's self to Abraham in many places, and one such spot is on a mountain, and Abraham would go on to build an altar there. God also gives Abraham's son Isaac a blessing, and he said that this family would come to be a blessing. 
And God revealed God's self to Isaac near a well. And so Isaac went on to build an altar there. And no doubt, Jacob had heard about these places. Maybe he'd seen them, gone along on the back of a camel, the way you do, begrudgingly, when your parents want to show you where they met or the school they grew up at or where the blockbuster used to be. Maybe Jacob had nodded his head and pretended to be interested. If he'd had a phone, he probably would have been on it, not paying much attention. But in today's story, the God Jacob has heard so much about catches Jacob by surprise. Jacob is on the run for his life because of that whole birthright being a rascal thing. He's exhausted and he's nowhere. No longer at home and not yet where he's headed. He decides to lie down and he grabs a rock for a pillow and he falls asleep. While he's sleeping, he sees a a stairway stretching all the way from heaven directly to his feet and angels going up and down it. And there at the top is the God he's heard so much about come to meet him. And what does God do? He blesses him. This is a profound encounter for many reasons. And here's what I find interesting about it. Here's where I see the good news for those who long to meet the God they've heard so much about. First, I find it interesting that God reveals God's self to Jacob. Jacob isn't meditating or journaling or fellowshipping. Jacob isn't serving the poor or memorizing verses. Jacob is sleeping. He isn't thinking about God. His last thoughts were probably about how he missed his pillow at home and whether his brother would ever forgive him and where was he going to find breakfast. Barbara Brown Taylor says, As with Jacob, most of my visions of the divine have happened while I was busy doing something else. God encounters Jacob. God happens to Jacob. God finds Jacob, not the other way around. I also find it interesting that God happens to Jacob differently than how, Jacob, than how God happened to his dad and his granddad. Abraham's got an altar on a mountain. Isaac's got an altar near a well. And Jacob is going to come back a few chapters later and put an altar near his rock pillow. He's not anywhere particularly holy. He's not anywhere really but it becomes somewhere through this encounter with the divine. It's his story. It's his special place. It's his moment with God. Also, God encounters Abraham and Isaac when they're being obedient. God encounters Jacob when he's being a straight up scoundrel. It's another good word. God appears to Jacob where Jacob is, not where his dad was when he got his blessing. So Jacob wakes up and what does he say? It's my favorite line. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. It doesn't seem like God decided to suddenly include Jacob in what God was doing. It seems like God had always been happening to Jacob. But what changed was Jacob's awareness. The God of Jacob's dad and granddad had always been Jacob's God. By the grace of God, Jacob could now see what had always been true that there was traffic between heaven and earth, as Walter Brueggemann says, and that his stone pillow in the middle of nowhere was just as much of a gateway to heaven as his dad's mountaintop or his mom's framed piece of art or his grandmother's Bible. When Jacob met God, I wonder if he could see God in the rear view, in all the places that he'd previously imagined God was absent. It can be really lonely to wonder if God will ever happen to you the way God seems to happen to other people. 
this story makes me wonder if the God you've heard about has always been happening to and with and for and through you far closer than you think. What if God's as close as the pillow you're sleeping on and you're still looking for God in other people's memories? What if you're waiting for a reenactment and God is actually doing something new right now, right where you are? Maybe some of us need to make more room for our children or loved ones to be met by God in different places than where we met God. We should still mark our moments and places and anoint those stones where God dropped a staircase to us. That's how our whole tradition has been passed on. That's how we got our sacred text. We have to keep telling and celebrating those stories. But maybe we also need to open our eyes to the possibility that if altars can be made of stone pillows, then they can be made of soccer nets and hotel rooms and lunch tables and car rides and gardens. However we carry this story forward, this episode falls alongside a bunch of others in our sacred text that suggest we have a God who is not content to remain an heirloom. This is not a God who lives on a shelf. This God doesn't expect us to know him through hearsay. This God still speaks. One last thought. When Jacob meets God, God isn't team dad or team granddad. He doesn't punish Jacob. The God of love stays in character. Even though Jacob is a dirty, rotten, rascal scoundrel, God offers him the same blessing. And he even adds a not so little detail that's just for Jacob. There's your homework. Go check out the book of Genesis and see what's different about the blessing that Jacob received from that of his father and grandfather. It's as if God says, hi Jacob, it's me. The God your mom and dad hoped you would know. The God your grandparents always talked about. I don't just belong to them. They belong to me. And so do you. I say to you what I said to them. I am doing a good thing in you and through you. And through you, that love will keep expanding. I'm with you here on your rock pillow. And I am with you every single place you lay your head in hotel rooms and hospital beds, at sleepovers with mean kids, on vacation when everything feels right, the first night of summer camp when you're homesick, or the first night in your new apartment, or the first night without the one you loved, or the first night after your grown kid has gone to college. I will be with you, and not just that, I will keep you. I won't keep you from pain, but I will keep you through it all. You will always belong to me. You always have, and someday, when love's purposes have been accomplished, I will bring you home and you'll tell your kids and your grandkids about me and you'll show them the stone pillow you keep on your shelf and they'll roll their eyes or maybe they'll beg to inherit it someday, quietly longing, I just wish your God would happen to me and you'll smile because you know that I am, that I will, that I already have. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thank you for joining today. If this episode has been meaningful to you, would you take a moment to share it with a friend? To support this ministry or learn more about our community, visit us at churchonmorgan.org.